0: Years ago, I used to work for a music festival as a runner, and I always heard this really weird story about Van Halen and a bowl of M&Ms. It's been told a lot of times before, but in case you haven't heard it. As legend has it, on their writer before every show, they required a bowl of M&Ms with all the brown ones removed. If they saw even one brown M&M, they could, at least in theory, terminate the contract on the spot. What a bunch of prima donnas, right? Well, no, Actually. The real reason for this odd request was to ensure that the venue had read every single line of the contract. You see, Van Halen was one of the first bands to put on these super complex productions, complete with big lights and pyrotechnics and all that jazz. Back in the 70s and 80s, not all of these older venues could handle such a setup. So it was vital that the promoter read every single line of the contract to make sure they could put on the show safely. If the band walked backstage and saw Brown M&M's, they could do an immediate line check of everything else in the contract to see what else hadn't been read. As a podcaster, you probably never have to deal with anything quite that dramatic. But making podcasts is still a production, and the attention to detail and craftsmanship matter. Just like with anything that has
1: a human feel to it, and the human voice is one of the greatest things that is a organic connection that we have between us. It is much better for an, a human being to manipulate it and perfect it than it is for a machine to use an algorithm to try to perfect a organic element.
0: Next, you'll hear from a podcast producer who spent 15 years touring with bands as an audio engineer and how that experience not only helps to make better audio, but a better podcasting experience, and how his clients get more value from that experience. But first, I've got to sell you this mattress. (laughs) Nope, just kidding. But I did want to mention that Castos offers some great integrative tools for your podcast. For instance, you can create a subscription-based podcast thanks to our partnership with Stripe. Using our new integrative tool, you can create a private podcast and accept payments directly from your listeners. So no more clunky ad algorithms that don't actually generate income. No more middlemen taking a 30% cut. It's a direct payment from your audience to you. Simple. Learn more at castos.com or click on the link in the show notes.
1: Communicating is also a skill, but it is is far more challenging to me (laughs) than learning how to push the buttons, learn how to set gain, learn how to use EQ and compression and microphone technique and all that stuff because we're dealing with other people and we never know how they're going to react and it's very very unpredictable whereas my my preamp is predictable my microphone is predictable
0: (laughs) for years Marcus Tappala toured the world with bands as a live audio engineer musicians like Creed Michelle Branch and Jars of Clay as anyone familiar with that world will tell you it's a grind his time on tour probably felt more like 30 years So in 2005, he retired from the road and now runs Me, Only Louder, a podcast production and consultation service, and he also offers audio workshops. He produces an array of different podcasts like The Photo Untaken with renowned photographer Alan Clark. Audio is a big part of Marcus's life. It's something he's been around ever since he was a teenager.
1: Yeah, I originally started out wanting to be a singer and then quickly found out that I did not have what it took to be an entertainer on stage. You know, it takes more than having just a good voice and found that being behind the scenes behind the desk is more where I belonged. And I had just a technical brain. I like understanding how things work and just really enjoyed serving the musicians in a way and being part of the show in a way of helping the audience connect with the singer through the sound that i would help the the art that's like so the speakers are how the audience is being able to connect to the singer and just like in podcasting you know our earbuds and and what we're doing as as editors is we're kind of like the intermediary between the person speaking and their ideas and and the end listener we used to spend like a week or more preparing for that tour so and I kind of equate that now to the pre-production process in podcasting, that you don't just sit down and hit record on the microphone. You have to think about what you're gonna say. You have to test your equipment, make sure that you know you know what you're doing. And with the touring situation, I think that's where I kind of got that mindset because we would spend, first we would set up for a few days in the warehouse just the equipment test through every single input, test every microphone, test every cable, make sure it was all labeled and set up just like it will be on the tour. We'd like tape the cables together so that we could efficiently lay them out on stage, you know around the drum kit and all that sort of thing. And then we would take pack up, take it over to a rehearsal space and then rehearse there for 2 or 3 days with the band the band would be learning the music and also just kind of getting the flow of the show down, kind of like the format of the show. And then we'd also get all the mixes dialed in and kind of get everything just fine-tuned in such a way that when we show up to the first venue for the first show, we're not spending all day trying to figure everything out. It's just a matter of figuring out that specific location, how we're gonna set up on the space given us, how we're gonna get the stuff in the door and then getting set up, doing a quick sound check, eating dinner, and then doing a show, and then packing up, doing it all again, the same day in a different city, different location. So getting a process down, that's what we were doing up front, is getting everything prepared so that we could repeatedly do the same thing very efficiently every morning and then pack it back up in a way that that we're not just throwing it in cases when we're done and just cramming it in the truck. We had a very systematized process to get it in the truck so that it would come back out in the proper order and then end up laying things out on stage and in the most efficient way possible so we could save time and not run into any problems and make sure that show went as
0: good as possible the next day too. When you're making a a podcast with for somebody or you're consulting what experiences are you pulling from to help you know other podcasters be successful
1: the most challenging part for me with any job but especially with podcasting is the actual communication part for my job as a producer I need to make sure that the guests are communicated with, I need to make sure that my hosts are communicated with about how to properly use their mic if they don't necessarily know how to do that. But, especially when I'm on mic, this is all communication, it's it's the art of conversation. And I don't care if you're doing an informational podcast or an entertainment podcast, uh, if you're doing a fiction podcast, it's even when it's just a story that you're broadcasting out for for a fiction podcast for entertainment, you are having an idea exchange, a story exchange with the listeners. And so there is this back and forth that needs to be in my mind that I'm not just talking to you, Stuart, right now on a microphone through Squadcast. I'm actually thinking of the people who are gonna be listening to this show. I'm, I'm having a conversation through you with them. And so to me, yes, all the technical stuff, is a huge part of what I do, but the most challenging part day in and day out, like I can learn the new technical skills and get good at them by rehearsing. Communicating is also a skill, but it is is far more challenging to me (laughs) than learning how to push the buttons, learn how to set gain, learn how to use EQ and compression and microphone technique and all that stuff, because we're dealing with other people and we never know how they're gonna react and it's very, very unpredictable, whereas my, My preamp is predictable. My microphone is predictable.
0: (laughs) I'm looking at your website now, uh, meonlylouder.com. What's the story behind Me Only Louder? That's a really good story. I borrow that saying from
1: a friend of mine who I used to tour with, a guy named, and who who actually was my crew chief, so technically he was my boss uh, as well, but his name is Vance Powell. Vance is a Grammy Award winning audio engineer for Chris Stapleton. Uh, Jack White from the White Stripes and a lot of other artists. He's he's mixed a bunch of stuff. You can Google him. But I toured with him back in the early 2000s, and he was mixing front of house. I was mixing monitors on stage. And when you're mixing front of house, part of that process is refining the sound of the speakers for the space that you're in. So even though you ha- you're carrying a lot of times the same speakers with you, sometimes you aren't. But every day we before sound check, whoever's running front of house will play some music through it, some reference tracks, and then they also usually get an SM58 or the vocal mic that the lead singer is using and speak into it with their voice that they're familiar with through the PA and then fine tune the EQ and limiting and the zones and all that stuff to make sure it sounds just right and then this so that it's as close as possible during sound check so that by the time they get to the show, and it'll change when the bodies fill the room, so you have to make some fine tune adjustments usually during the first couple songs. But anyway, all that to say, Vance, when he was done talking into his SM58 through the PA before sound check, when he was happy with how his voice sounds, he would say, it sounds like me, only louder. And that, I always enjoyed that because I feel like the authenticity is what he was going for in the sound. And I want that as well, not just for the audio quality, but for my voice and how it lands with my audience, how my clients' messages and their information and their entertainment or whatever it is that I'm doing, helping them distribute to their listeners,
0: that it is an authentic representation of who they are. So obviously Marcus learned some good technical skills on tour and those skills come in handy when he makes podcasts. But being a good producer is about more than just pressing buttons and mixing sound. My job as a
1: producer is not to to just coordinate the technical details and make sure the show runs without a hitch or sounds good, or we get all the pieces that we need to actually produce the show and get it published. I feel like my biggest role, is to make it so that my clients, the host and the guests are as comfortable as possible and that they don't have any kind of distraction from the technical side of things. So I, I don't just check boxes when I'm making sure that we have you know, all the levels set and especially when I'm dealing with a remote guest who's not in the room with us. Uh, it's a lot easier when everybody's in the room with me because I just kind of disappear into the background, you know, um, and and they don't even I, I feel like if they don't realize I'm there, I'm doing my job. But there's always this, you know, early part of the conversation when there's a remote guest where I have to make sure that they're close enough to their mic that they have the right microphone selected, they have their headphones on, all those little technical details that we as podcasters take for granted. And it's not just me conveying, again, the commun- the information. It's how I communicate it to them. It's that that comfort that I, it's like, I, I want them to feel like they're in good hands as a guest and kind of, because they guests, do, when they're remote, they do end up, I think, stressing themselves out a little too much about the technical details, especially if they don't do it on a regular basis. And so I try to be that soothing voice of comfort and like, no, we got you, we're good, That's, it's all good. You know, we'll, we'll get it worked out if, if there's a problem. You know. And then so that by the time they get to the actual interview, their kind of stress level has lowered so that they can engage in a more connected conversation with the host. And especially with the host who has to be thinking ahead, hopefully thinking about their listeners, not just the information that they want to get out of the guest, but thinking bigger picture uh, about how this particular conversation fits into their overall business, into their overall show arc. You know, they should be thinking about everything except for what I'm taking care of for them. So that I'm allowing them the space to just focus on the creative elements, and those communication elements with their listeners.
0: There's a lot of people who would probably say, "Why do I need to come into your studio, Marcus, and, and record this conversation with with a sound engineer and all that? Mm-hmm. Why why can't I just record directly into the script? It'll it'll transcribe my audio for me. It yeah. can it'll automatically export into a multi track Adobe session if I want it. Uh, <laughs> so why why have an actual experienced producer? Essentially, you're making radio. If, if you really want to think about it, you're, yep. you're, just, you're making radio on demand is what you're doing versus, you know, the, the one-stop shop. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to upload some audio into the script mm-hmm. and, and let the AI take over. Why have, have the human capital behind it versus just paying a few bucks a month to the script?
1: I have a lot of admiration for the programmers who are creating AI that will help us make better audio, but... The human voice is a very very fickle thing (laughs) and it is very hard to capture on top of it the process of recording audio even if it's not the human voice any audio recording is way trickier than you'd actually think it is it's not just a matter of sticking a microphone in front of your face hitting a button hitting stop and then publishing it first of all to get the quality of audio you're used to hearing on the radio, it requires a lot of post-processing. You can't just take the raw audio that we're recording right now and just maybe turn the volume up or down a little bit. And then put, I mean, you could, but it's not gonna sound like what you hear on the radio. And it's not about necessarily getting the radio sound per se. That is part of why people hire me is because they want it to sound like a full-on professional broadcast. And there, there's definitely a sound for that. But it's more about making sure that the human voice, which is very quiet in parts and very loud in parts, and everybody's, when there's more than one voice, getting them to blend and be about the same volume level, even though they don't sound anything alike, all of that, those elements can make it difficult to hear the words that you're actually saying when you're in a car, when you're on a sub subway, wearing, you know, earbuds that don't, seal or isolate the sound very well, you don't wanna have your listeners having to turn the volume up and down. So all of that to say, I'm hired by my clients because I have been doing sound for the vast majority of my life, almost 27 years. Uh, I've been doing it professionally. And I take a lot of little fiddly steps along the way. (laughs) And everything that I'm doing as a part of my process is with the end goal of getting this pristine, polished sounding audio into the ears of the listener so that they don't they have the best experience possible. With no distractions. They don't have to adjust the volume dial or any of that stuff. And it takes time to develop those skills and understanding. I'm still learning, too. There's new tools that come out, new software, all like stuff like Distripped. I've, I've played with it, and I've tried to see if I can incorporate it into my workflow. But getting back to the AI part of it, just like with anything that has a human feel to it, and the human voice is one of the greatest things that, that is an organic connection that we have between us, it is much better for an, a human being to manipulate it and perfect it than it is for a machine to use an algorithm to try to perfect a organic element. And it's the same with photography, the same with film, same with food. You know, if you had a robot making a sandwich, it probably is not gonna taste quite as good. Or, you know, I guess a sandwich is probably pretty easy. But if you had them creating a dish, you know, uh, that's more complex, that has a lot of different seasoning, there's, just like with cooking, I, I, I equate, audio to cooking a lot of times, and what I'm doing is adding flavor, and it's, it's these seasonings that I'm putting layers of in and along the way. It's not just one button I push to get a result. I'm layering things in a way, and depending on, just like with cooking, depending on the air pressure, or you know the uh, the altitude you're at, things could cook differently. There are all these factors that are environmental that come into play, and a robot, uh, an AI, is not going to be able to compensate when there's something that's just a little bit off.
0: You work with a lot of clients. Uh, do they see a lot of like return on their investment from from working with you? Right. This is
1: tricky with uh, a lot of clients, but the type of clients that I'm attracting and the type of clients that I enjoy working with, it's not ROI, is, is bigger than the show itself. And I do feel like in podcasting, in any creative endeavor, whether it's YouTube or social media marketing, whatever it is, we tend to kind of get uh, transactional and the, the, the zero-sum game when it comes to the dollars in versus the dollars returned. And like my wife also uh, does a uh, book marketing business. And so, you know, a lot of times authors will pay her thousands of dollars to consult just to sell a few hundred books, you know, but it's not, all all that to say, you have to think bigger than the show itself, especially if you're doing an informational podcast, a business podcast, but even if you're doing a fiction podcast that's supposed to be making money in and of itself, the kind of people that hire me are thinking broader, and their overall career, their overall business and the, what the podcast is doing for them is not just bringing in ad revenue for the show. So, you know, they try to, they try to bring in enough ad revenue to offset the cost of just hiring me. But most of the shows that I do, what they're making from the show, a lot of them don't even do ads. So why are they paying me so much money if, if they're not even making money from the podcast itself? Well, the insight that they're sharing is reinforcing their expertise and leadership in their field, in their niche. And from one podcast episode that they pay me a few hundred dollars to produce, they could get a $200,000 contract with a client. So that is the ROI for them. They're, they're basically, it's part of their marketing budget essentially. And I'm just a piece of the content creation puzzle, but, it's not the show itself that's seeing the return it's the bigger the broader it's we're not just the you know even podcasters that are just making money from their show there's also t-shirts and mugs and stickers and and pins and stuff that hope if you're doing it right you know (laughs) it's broader than just the show itself the podcasters that can make a living just from their podcast are very 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 lucky and it's the same thing with musicians they are not making money from their recorded music on that you're streaming on Spotify at all. They're making a very lousy living. Spotify is taking a huge huge advantage of musicians and pay, do not pay the musicians enough for all the work that they put into their recordings that they have on their platforms. So musicians make money touring, they sell tickets to shows, they sell t-shirts, they sell lots of, you know, any, anything you can do, any kind of merchandise, any kind of events, like special events, especially like private events, private parties, those are like the high dollar things where they make a, a, a killing on, you know, and, and kind of boost a whole season for them just with one private event.
0: You mentioned it, a great point, whether it's like a fiction podcast that you're trying to or you're trying to make some sort of like audio drama, whether it's B2B, whether it's like a narrative investigative series. Mm-hmm. All of it requires, I think, a pretty strong foundation of not just like the knowledge that you as a podcaster have to have, but the support you need from from a Marcus to Paula. That and
1: the creative originality, like a, a new idea, a fresh idea, that a lot of times the you can substitute some of the more technical things if your idea is super powerful. And I feel like there, unfortunately, has been a lot of unrealistic expectations set by quite a few people giving advice online. I'm not gonna name any names. But, you know, <laughs> I feel kind of gross whenever I hear someone talking about monetizing their podcast, even before they've talked about who they're going to be talking to, much less what they're going to be talking about. And anyone who goes into podcasting thinking it's going to be this massive moneymaker, it has to be a creative, personal creative endeavor first before it can be something that you're passionate about, something that you have that's unique a, a unique way to connect with listeners in a new way uh, especially now that there's so many things for us to listen to not just in podcasting but you know i spend a lot way too much time on TikTok. you know we're also competing podcasts are competing with all the other social media platforms competing with youtube we're competing with netflix we're completely competing with hbo it, it's all about creating something that's worth your audience's time and if you're putting the cart before the horse and thinking how can I make a buck from this time that I, what's my ROI for the time I'm spending editing my podcast? Well, what's the ROI for the listener? (laughs) You know,
0: (laughs) I don't think we can overstate how, how important like the time and, and the craftsmanship. I think maybe if that's, if that's, you know, if there's really a word I want to use, it's, it's craftsmanship. I love that word. Yeah. And it sounds like you provide it for, for people.
1: Yes, it's not just a service. It is I am bringing my personal experience, the the skills that I'm continually developing and my own flavor into and my my own personality into what I do for my clients and that's that's why that's why they hire me. I'm not just another guy who can push buttons, you know. And that, that honestly that's the same thing with with audio engineering when I was touring. They weren't just hiring me because I could do the job they, they were hiring me because of who I am <laughs> and that that is what I think a lot of us forget about our podcast too is the listeners aren't just listening to the information they're wanting to connect with you as a human being especially if you're a solo podcaster so so seeing it as something bigger than just that product just that mp3 file you're sticking in their ears you know um, that, that's the challenging thing. And I, I remember like it, w- when I was hearing you talk, I was reminded of yesterday. I, I got frustrated with myself because I spent way too long creating a video that I posted yesterday on social media about SM 58s And I, you know, it just took weight. It took the vast majority of my day and I was kicking myself. I should not be wasting time on this video. This is just a social media video, but the value of that the roi for me <laughs> it's a gross term uh was me perfecting my video production process because that is the thing that i don't have enough experience with yet and that and video is more and more important as we go and so i'm trying to incorporate that not just for myself and how i can connect with my followers and my prospects my potential clients and and the people that i consult but also the services that i can provide as a consultant, but also as a producer. So I am learn. I learned some really cool new techniques in, in Premiere Pro yesterday that I did not know before. So it was not a waste of time, and I don't need to be kicking myself. <laughs> All of these skills I can take with me wherever I end up. Like I did websites for a little while when I first retired from the road, you know, when I first stopped touring. Uh, and I took that, uh, like a lot of even though nothing of it had to do with audio there was still the interpersonal exchanges there was still the relational things that I learned there was you know there were still elements that, that I was bringing to that so absolutely like I'm constantly looking around and, and and that's that's the other thing is not getting tunnel vision and staying in my hole in my one DAW of choice and using the one group of plugins I'm constantly looking at what's new and is that something? I'm trying new things I I get frustrated even with my own spouse if I'm honest when they want to stick with what they are comfortable with even though there's this new tool this new service that could save them so much time if they took the time Right now, if they took an extra 30 minutes, it could save them hours and hours and hours down the road. And so that's what I'm trying to do with my consulting work is not just showing people how to use a particular device or particular piece of software, but understanding the process so they can develop their own and apply that to any of these software suites that we have, that we use. Because it doesn't matter what DAW you use, honestly. It doesn't matter which one I use. It, what matters is the un, like what I can do with anything. a, a good A good engineer can take a, a an iPhone recording and make it sound like it was in a broadcast studio.
0: It's definitely a fine balance. Like you want to have a good setup. It the technical side of it matters, but at the same time, it's like I I could I could give you seventy five thousand dollars or or whatever and say, all right, set up a stage for me. I can't play any instruments. It's not going to matter. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? You can give me a good, you know, and you you hear that a lot from people in creative. maybe not a lot, but I, but I, you know, but there's, there's always that guy who's always like, man, when I get that right, that right camera, yes, I'm going to take, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. I'm going to get the perfect picture. And I heard, I'm going to get the
1: million YouTube followers. You know, if I just had the right camera, I'll I'll get a million followers on YouTube. It's like, Nope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. right. I mean, I heard a photographer say, you know, the best camera in the world is the one that you have in your hand yep. at any given moment, but it's the ideas. And then obviously the idea comes first and then the means to kind of bring that idea to life. So it's, it's, it's the importance of like why you have kind of a, a team, right? I mean, uh, instead of trying to do it all yourself.
1: Yes. And understanding how something works is much more important than, what you have to work with. So, my goal is to help podcasters make whatever they have in front of them work as good as it possibly can and then also give them the power to know and be confident that where they can invest when they when they can invest to upgrade their equipment that they're not second guessing it or they're dissatisfied with with their purchase. So that that's the other piece of it is making sure that that you understand things enough to where you're not investing your money in the wrong tool.
0: Is there one or two like projects that you've worked on or are working on that you're just, you know, stoked about? Yeah, I just
1: finished. Uh, we just finished releasing the last episode of season four of steal the show with Michael Port. And it's been very informational for me. I've enjoyed learning as I've been editing. Uh, he had conversations with his, uh, CPA with his accountant, about uh financial strategies for entrepreneurs and I technically and I'm an entrepreneur because I'm a, I'm a freelancer and while there's a lot of it you know he's talking to speakers like public speakers for, for his company because he does like a, a training program for speakers but it, it applies to anyone who does not have a nine-to-five job <laughs> and even so like a lot of the insight they gave does apply to people who have nine- to-five jobs too so uh that 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 was a very very I, I Michael's an amazing guy and super super smart and Matt who ha, was is his CPA had a lot of great insight to share about
0: finances so that was a really great fun project. Hey there listener, it's Matt. Before you go, I want to offer you the aspiring podcaster two special items. Number 1. If you haven't started a podcast yet or you want to find a better podcast hosting company, start here at Castos. Use our coupon code audience20. That's audience20 when you sign up for a new account at castos.com. Start a podcast like the one you just heard or about gluten-free muffins, whatever it is, will help you get your podcast out into the world. Number two, did you know that our academy is free? Enroll today for free at academy.castos.com. Get access to our courses, videos, and templates all for free. Thanks for listening to the audience podcast today. We hope we're helping you become a better podcaster. All that's left for you to do is share this episode on social media. Bye for now.